there's not a single income stream that's safe. There's not a single income stream that hasn't been impacted by coronavirus, whether that's the stock market, the rental market, the literally the job market. I mean, we've seen that this year more than ever. And I hate to see people who have this belief of, hey, being a full-time salaried employee equates to job security and income security. Because no, there's nothing secure about being 100% dependent on a single source of income. I'll never forget that day when I asked myself the question, is this it? Is this all there is to strive for in life? That day, I set out on a journey to find more. Now, I am sitting down with the most fulfilled to teach us the tools and tips they use to get there so we can do it faster. Think different, earn different, live fulfilled. This is Contrarian Cashflow. Welcome in Contrarian Cashflow. I've got Rachel Richard with me today. Rachel, how are you doing? Hey, John. I'm great. How are you? I am outstanding. I am so excited to have this conversation. So Rachel is a best-selling author, real estate investor, financial wellness educator, and was able to retire from her corporate career at the age of 27 with over $10,000 in passive income a month. So, well, that's just a pretty good start. And now currently <laughs> you're residing in Colorado with her husband and her dog. What kind of dog? Uh, she's a lab mix. She's a really sweet still girl. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, um, so, you know, first off, I mean, that's a lot right there, right? I mean, and I know you're diving really big into the courses and the education side, but so what are you working on right now during all this craziness of COVID? Yeah, this year has been, I'm trying to do like one main thing a year because otherwise I want to do everything and there's not enough time. But this year I focused on online courses. So I've launched two. They're a ton of fun and I love them. And then what I'm planning on doing next year is having my first ever mastermind for women who want to create passive income. So I could not be more excited about that. <laughs> That is outstanding and right in this, uh, right in line with our, our branding. So I love the diversified income and, and the importance of having multiple streams just in the off chance that anything is to happen to any of them. So, so I really, I love your story and I know it starts a little bit earlier than a lot of people, right? As far as kind of the awareness and the consciousness, but so, you know, you're the money honey. So, you know, <laughs> obviously maybe you weren't branded that, uh, you know, back in the day, but so, so where did this journey start and where did kind of your awareness around personal finance and personal financial literacy begin? It started at a young age. You're right about that. I th one of my earliest memories is in sixth grade. I found this book. I don't know how or where, but it was The Motley Fool's Guide for Teens, How to Have More Money Than Your Parents Ever Dreamed Of, something like that. And I was like, oh, that sounds legit. So <laughs> I remember being in this summer camp and my friends were you know, playing, going down the water slides. And I remember sitting at the edge of the pool, reading this book and just devouring it. <laughs> so that's kind of where my passion started. I've always been a finance nerd. And then the other thing too that I realized growing up is I grew up in a really wealthy county. It was a bubble of wealth, unrealistic kind of place to have expectations set growing up. But just to give you an idea, there were people in my high school that would get brand new BMWs for their 16th birthday. Yeah. So my family was not operating that way. Um, we weren't really going on vacations, let alone even going out to eat at restaurants. We were always on a budget. So in middle school and high school, I always had this feeling of not fitting in, which is not the way you want to feel at that age. And I remember sitting back and thinking, man, I, I just don't want to end up like everyone struggling with money, you know, everyone else outside of this little bubble. I, I don't want to have to operate on a strict budget or borrow money from my family and friends to, to make it to my next paycheck. I wanted to be different. 
And I realized that what I did then would either set me up for wealth or for poverty. So that realization really kick-started things for me. I became an avid reader, learned everything I could, started learning about real estate investing, and kind of knew at that age the path that I wanted to take to financial independence. I mean, that's way better than me. I didn't even get into reading until a few years ago. So, you know, I grew up in, I mean, an upper middle class family. And so I kind of had, you know, I was campered and, you know, I mean, we we didn't do anything crazy. I didn't get the BMW, but, you know, I mean, we we could (laughs) kind of, you know, we had discretionary funds. And so I think I didn't start taking things as seriously as I needed to until I kind of got to the adult stage, right? You know, you got a family, you got a mortgage, you know, things get real very quick about Mm -hmm. how you have to budget and get things in line. So, so you've got all this tremendous information and then you're rolling into college. So, so you get through that. So how do you start your professional career and kind of down this path? I majored in financial economics. So I had that degree and then I started as a financial advisor, um, which was part parts of that were great. Parts I didn't like too. You know, I liked the part where I was actually helping people invest their money. It was really thrilling for me. But when you start out as a financial advisor, it's a cold calling job. It's a sales job. And I just didn't have it in me to commit to spending the next five to 10 years of my life on the phone cold calling. Just didn't sound fun. So I got out of that, took a couple random kind of stints in real estate and learned a little bit there. And then I became a finance analyst at a manufacturing corporation, which is where I worked for three years until I finally quit. So that is kind of my career trajectory. (laughs) Well, and so I'm always intrigued by people. One one of the statistics that you put out that you threw out there in another interview was around 84% of people want to write a book, you know, aspire to, to to publish and write their own book. So, I mean, an analytical person, financial analyst, financial advisor, how do they become an author? I mean, those seem kind of, you know, you know, separate. Yes. Isn't that a statistic interesting? It's almost like most Americans have this hidden dream of publishing a book, becoming an author. And I remember when I was really little, I would write short stories, like when I was a little kid. And I would write these goofy little short stories. And I remember even then saying to my parents, I want to grow up and be a best-selling author. And then as I grew older, I started becoming more practical and pragmatic. And I was like thinking to myself, well, do authors make money? You know, writers don't make money. Like that, that's the things I was saying to myself. So I was like, I got to find something more practical where I can make good money. That's why I went into finance. And of course, now it's so ironic that I'm now a best-selling author and I do make a lot of money from my, from my finance books. So it, it all worked out in the end, but I do think it's something that so many people want to do and don't know how to get started. The reason I got started is because I read this book published by Chandler Bolt. And up until then... I knew I wanted to write a book. I just didn't know how or where to start. And reading his book helped me really sit down, come up with ideas, outline it, and start putting pen to paper. So it was just a great hands-on resource that got me to finally implement the things that I was learning. And that's how I got started. And, and you actually got to meet the author, right? And you met him at an event, right? I did, yes. I was so lucky. I went to this conference, Best Year Ever, run by Hal Elrod in San Diego last year and Chandler was there. So I got to, you know, bring my book up to him and be like, thank you. You know, you've changed my life. Just being able to thank him in person was so meaningful to me. And that was a really cool experience. (laughs) Yeah, no, one and Hal has some outstanding books too. So I'm sure that was an amazing event. Yeah. Um, So, so where did money honey come from? You know, so how did, (laughs) you know, how did that come about and you know, how did that kind of become the brand? Yeah, I wanted something catchy and something that, would 
resonate with female millennials because I am a female millennial. And so all of the people I saw around me struggling with money and coming to me for financial advice were my girlfriends. And I was like, okay, I want to write this book for them. The thing is, my family and friends came to me for advice all the time, which I loved. And I began to wonder, well, why aren't they reading books or learning on their own? I had this aha moment where I was like, oh yeah, you know, personal finance is boring. It's dull. It's intimidating. It's dry. Lots of bad adjectives go along with personal finance. So I thought to myself, well, how can I make this topic sassy and fun and simple? And that's where the idea for Money Honey came from. And it's really been an enormous success. It's done better than I ever would have imagined. And it has over 700 Amazon reviews now. Wow. Wow. Well, and we'll have, we'll have notes in the, in the show notes for, for folks to go and check that out so they can pick up their copy. But so what was it, so what was it like? I mean, you, you know, you read published and you got this book out. I'm sure there were a lot of things that happened between, you know, reading published and then get and actually getting published. But what was that journey like? And, and what were some of the struggles and trials and tribulations? It was so fun to start off because I felt like the words were just pouring out of me. You know, very exciting thing when you start something new. And then about four months in, I did a complete mental 180. And by then, I was really doubting myself. I was saying things to myself like, who do you think you are, Rachel, to write a book on finance? You're a 24-year-old girl. Who do you think you are? And if you go through with this, it's going to be an embarrassment. And your writing is crap. So those are the kinds of really nice things I was saying to myself. And I really let it get to me. I actually quit writing the book. I had no intention of ever picking it back up again. Luckily, I sat down with a coworker who's also a good friend a couple months later, and I confessed to her what I had been working on. And she was like, Rachel, what are you thinking? You have to finish what you set out to do. You're really onto something here. You know, please write this book. And I'm so grateful for her because she gave me just enough reassurance and encouragement to take another look at it. And the only reason I went through with publishing it in the end is I told myself, if I can just help one person, that's all I want to do. And I'm so glad I, I helped myself by really lowering expectations. It's like one person and, and goal accomplished. But I do think that if I had been out to make this quick money grab or just be doing it for the money, people would have seen right through that and it wouldn't have done as well. And I'm grateful for her because it's now it's gone on to sell tens of thousands of copies. So... Wow, that, that's that's amazing. And well, so a couple things there. It reminds me of that picture or that uh, you know wives' tale about that individual that's you know has their pickaxe in, in the cave, right? And they're just three feet away from that gold, and they just yes. don't realize it yet because they can't see it. And but then also the support structure of somebody right there, right? I mean, I think that's so important. Just the, the relationships we have in our lives and how they impact us and can push us forward. Not that the book may not have happened either way, but the fact that you had somebody around you to build you up and say, hey, like you know, you've got this, like you can do this. And I just think that I'm so fortunate that, you know, I have my spouse, I have friends, I have my family that's there to pick me up as well. And it's just amazing mm -hmm. to be surrounded by people that can really help excel you and expedite your curve to the next level. So another thing I want to dig in on there is that just help one person. I think that really scares a lot of people from even starting, right? They're like, you know, there's no way I'm going to get 10,000 subscribers or there's no way I'm going to get a million, you know, likes or whatever the case is. So how did you get your mind to the point where you did just say, hey, if this can just help one person, I've accomplished something tremendous. I think we get way too caught up in comparing where we are now to somebody else's tenure 
where they are. You know what I mean? Like we're comparing our present selves to like somebody else that's been doing this for five, 10, 15 years and who now has a lot of success. And here's an example. I've been interested in writing fiction lately because I think that's fun. I don't know if it'll go anywhere, but I've been starting to learn about fiction writing, rereading some of my favorite fiction books. And man, do I get discouraged because I'm like, how could I ever be this good? Like, how could I ever be as brilliant as Jillian Flynn or J.K. Rowling? And then I'm like, well, wait a second, Rachel. They weren't that good when they first started either. They probably wrote some pretty crappy first drafts, right? So it's not, I'm not being fair to myself by comparing myself to their endgame. So that's something I think if you just think about that and realize that, it'll help you get started. Because yeah, maybe you're not going to create a life-changing book the first try or do something that's going to impact hundreds of thousands of lives the first try. But after you consistently create content and hone your craft over a few years, you can absolutely get to that point. You just have to get started. I mean, that's that that advice is golden. I mean, and that's one thing that I struggled with personally getting started was who's going to care? Why is my voice important? I mean, people can go read another book that's much better than mine. And so I think that's just such a great perspective that I really hope, you know, the listeners can gravitate towards and really understand. And then also, so obviously you're talking about strictly from, you know, either publication perspective, but it also goes to finances too, right? I think we jump and see you know, the material items on social media or in commercials or in the media in general. And we don't understand either, you know, first of all, I know a lot of people don't love the millionaire next door book and I I like it. Um, You know, I don't like the, you know, I like a more abundance mindset. So I don't think Mm -hmm. you need to live on, on a budget, you know, that you should, you know, cut things out of your life and you should aspire to make more, to, to do more. But the, you know, the idea just of keeping up with the Joneses, right? And, and the reality of how many people that live in those country club neighborhoods that have those million dollar houses that drive those 70, 80, $100,000 cars are actually in debt and actually yeah. probably have less value in assets in their actual net worth than the, you know, than the person driving the Ford F-150. And so I just think that's such an easy place for people to get caught up and they see this or, you know, in the realm of real estate, it's like, oh man, that person just bought a 500 unit building or that person just bought this. But then you really peel back the layers of the onion and it's like, well, you know, what was the reality, right? Yes, they were a part of that, but you know, they were one piece of 20 or 30 or 40 or whatever the case is. And so I just think the comparison piece of it is so huge. And that's just something internal that people really need to, you know, to look at themselves and say, Hey, what am I doing this for? And can I be satisfied with my personal effort versus comparison to what else is out there? Exactly. I mean, think about if I had compared myself to Dave Ramsey and I was like, well, I'm never going to be Dave Ramsey, but, but that's not the point. I don't need to be Dave Ramsey. Like I love Dave Ramsey. He's great for debt payoff. He works with probably an older generation than I work with, but there are female millennials out there on the other hand that I can relate to a lot better than Dave Ramsey. So you, you're not going to necessarily, you don't have to compare yourself to the experts, right? Everyone has a unique gift and a unique voice that they can share with other people. And you don't have to be the number one expert in the world to do it. You just have to know more than most people. Couldn't have said it better. No, that's outstanding. So, um, so let's kind of look at what the egg. So we, you've, you've wrote, written the book, Money, Honey. You've and so, but you've also got some other investments going on on the side, right? So you guys, you guys have done some real estate. So can you dig in a little bit to what when you were working full time and you had these other streams of income coming in, what that architecture looked like? For sure. So prior to 2017, we had no passive income. We were both working full-time. And in 2017, that's where it all began. We started investing in real estate. So we bought our first duplex for, it was listed for 100000 in Louisville, Kentucky. That's where we were living at the time. 
And then later that year is when I wrote and published Money Honey. So we had these two passive income streams, rental income and royalty income. And although we have more now, those are still our two biggest income streams. So we have primarily focused on growing those as much as possible over the years. Fast forward to today, we own almost 40 rental units, like 40 doors, and I now have my two best-selling books. So between the two, we're now actually closer to 15 grand a month in passive income. I mean, that's not bad, right? I mean, most people, most people can, you know, <laughs> two people and a dog, you know, that's probably a pretty comfortable life being able to do that. Uh, yeah, we save a, a lot for sure. It's more than I ever made in my job. You know, I've always said I'm not a trust fund baby and I've never made six figures in a career. So. <laughs> well, hey, I'd, I'd say it's a little bit more impressive to make it on your own than, uh, yeah. than in a career. So, um, so what kind of took you guys down the path of real, why real estate versus the stock market or versus, I mean, you're just like, Hey, this book is awesome. Like, Hey, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm great. Why not just do the book and do your career and, you know, kind of ride off into the sunset. So I actually didn't have the book idea until after my initial goal, because I read rich dad, poor dad by Robert Kiyosaki in high school. I didn't know any other way to achieve financial independence. I was like, Oh, real estate investing. I get it. Like, this is it. This is what we're going to do. And this is how we're going to retire early. So that was our initial plan. It was actually to buy a single family house every year for 15 years, all on 15 year mortgages. So then after that 15-year period, when those mortgages started getting paid off, I figured that's when we would retire. We would be in our mid-30s by then. Sounded great to me. So that's what we started doing. And then, of course, the book thing, it was just this totally random thing I did because I felt compelled to do it. I wanted, I was passionate about it. Had no idea it would actually make money. Um, but yeah, that, and then we just continued on with both. We kept scaling up our real estate, buying more multifamily properties, making a lot of money that way. At the same time, I was working on my book business and building that up too. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I'm a huge fan of real estate. Obviously, I mean, I think the cash flow piece of it, to, you know, the passive income stream is, is tremendous. I mean, you know, business income is great as well, but that just requires a lot more hand holding, and you know, you have to be more than likely, you know, be a little bit more involved, and then. You know, I have not really gotten too involved in the stock market personally. I, you know, recently I have some investors that I've been working with that, you know, they've been looking to do some of the dividend games and, mm -hmm. and you know, they've gotten burnt because because COVID has required a lot of organizations to rethink their dividend strategy. And so, you know, the yields they thought they were getting aren't there anymore. And so I just think the fact that you've got multiple streams is important because something is going to happen that may impact one of those and you don't want to yes. be stuck. Yes, multiple streams is essential. There's not a single income stream that's safe. There's not a single income stream that hasn't been impacted by coronavirus, whether that's the stock market, the rental market, the literally the job market. I mean, we've seen that this year more than ever. And I hate to see people who have this belief of, hey, being a full-time salaried employee equates to job security and income security. Because no, there's nothing secure about being 100% dependent on a single source of income. What happens when you lose your job, when you get laid off, when your hours get cut? And unfortunately, we've seen that this year more than ever. So that's what I love, John, about you is that you're so into the income diversification like I am, which really means having multiple sources of income. And I'll share the perfect example of how this has impacted me this year. In a normal month, our rental income is making, like I said, eight to 10 grand a month in profit. In April of this year of 2020, it made, we made $1,000 from the rental. 
from, from in profit. So what an enormous decrease in income. Now, there were some landlords that were doing a lot better than me. There were landlords that were worse off than me. The way I saw it at the time is if I can just break even for a few months, I would be happy with that. And the only reason I wasn't in a complete panic those few months is because I had all these other income streams keeping me afloat. And that's the important takeaway. That's the way to safeguard your finances is having income diversification. Well, thank you so much for sharing that story because I think so many people think regardless of the strategy, it's just all or nothing. And, um, you know, and the fact that, like you said, I mean, from going from eight to $10,000 a month to a thousand, I mean, had to be a, a huge rude awakening. You're just like, whoa, like something is, is terribly wrong. But I know I really appreciate that because I think that's what's so important because we're, we're having struggles ourselves with some of our rentals. They're right near a college. They're mm-hmm. rent by the bedroom. We thought they'd be perfect and insulated from anything, but who wants to live in kind of a boarding style you know, rental right now when they all have individual bad bedrooms and bathrooms, but you're living with random people. You don't know where they're going. And, and the other thing is, which is like totally out of our control is uh, with the government doing some of this regulation on the student visas, that was a huge population of our rental base. And so now they left the country and have not come back. So, so, you know, some of these areas that we thought were super insulated student housing, Hey, you know, well, the the lease is backed by the parents. So, you know, we're going to be good. We're always going to get that income. I just think it's interesting. And I just think that's why you always have to be, your income streams have to be dynamic, right? You know, it's going to be ebbs and flows. There's Mm -hmm. going to be ups and downs. We can't predict coronavirus, but we also won't be able to predict the next financial meltdown, right? I mean, we'll have an idea of, oh, something should happen, but it may happen in a year, may happen in two years, or it may not be another 10 years. We've been very fortunate that, you know, we've been on a pretty uh, exponential ride, you know, over the last little bit. So well, I, I kind of want to dig in on the sassiness. So, uh, so how do you make personal finance fun and sassy? I mean, you know, like you said, overall, most people are pretty hesitant because it is kind of a boring topic. I think it's mostly the language I use. You know, I'm not afraid to cuss in my book. There's a cuss word in the subtitle of my book, getting your financial bleep together. So (laughs) it's just a fun tone. You know, I use memes. I use hashtags and acronyms that millennials and young people use. I tell stories and anecdotes throughout. So I think it's just the overall vibe of the book. The most common thing that people say in the reviews is that it feels like you're sitting down and having coffee with a friend and just talking about money. And so I think that's great. Goal accomplished to me. (laughs) I mean, I couldn't think of a better, you know, a better way to get through a topic that wasn't, you know, you know, exciting overall, um, you know, to a lot of people, to a lot of people, you know, compared to that description. So well, one thing that you've talked about before that I think is interesting, and we didn't really talk about it too much. I know we've talked about a lot of your success and you talked about some struggles, but the sacrifice and mm. you know the, the internal motivation to actually setting forth a goal and accomplishing it from regardless of what the income stream is, $10,000 a month or $1,000 a month. So how do you either in coaching or, or through the book, how do you talk about kind of helping people understand, you know, sacrificing what is going to allow them to grow and then also, you know, keeping what they need to keep so that they can live a life that is enjoyable in the moment. Yes, it's it's so important to understand that sacrifice has to be made one way or another if you want to achieve financial freedom. This isn't some get rich quick scheme. There's no easy road you can take when it comes to achieving this. You know, the the two years that Andrew and I were working full time managing our rentals on the weekend and I was writing my books in the evenings definitely the most brutal two, two years of my life. I've never been so exhausted and worked so hard and sacrificed so much social life, spending money, all these different things. So I think it just comes down to being aware of that from the get-go. 
and knowing that when it comes to passive income specifically, you have to invest time or money to create passive income. It is not, like I said, it's not a get rich quick scheme. So I think one of the first things to ask yourself is, hey, do I have more time or more money to invest? If you're anything like I was a few years ago, John, you would have said, oh, I have neither. Like I don't have time <laughs> and I don't have money. <laughs> so I think the next question to ask yourself is, okay, which one would be easier to create more of? Would it be easier to free up some time in your schedule or to generate more money that you can invest? Because there's just no getting around that for sure. Well, I, that, that was such a great description. And I, I love the fact that you got into the social aspect too, right? So, I mean, you know, there's a finite amount of money that we all have, regardless of how much you have, you know, you're going to spend it or you're going to invest it into so many things, but also the the value of our time too. And, you know, maybe you're going to have to give up, maybe you don't have to give up the, the Netflix or the Hulu subscription, but maybe you have to give up, Hey, we're not going to go to the bar, you know, twice or three times a week, or, you know, on Sunday, I'm going to have to, you know, not hang out with friends all, all day and, and go do, you know, something that's going to enrich my life and, and potentially, you know, invest in myself around these passive different avenues. Yeah. I mean, I remember literally not being able to remember what a normal weekend felt like anymore because we worked all weekend long. And I just remember thinking to out loud to my husband one day and being like, what did we used to do? Like if we had an entire weekend with nothing to do, wow, how did we, that must've been fun. How did we spend that time? I mean, I literally couldn't remember. So it was hard. It was two, two really difficult years. I think the hardest thing for anybody is just to find that balance because you can be too extreme either way. You can be too extreme with not being willing to sacrifice anything. And then of course, you're not going to make progress towards your goals or you can be too extreme the way we were and being so income and work focused that it starts to impact you. It, it impacts your marriage, your mental health, and it's not good. And we definitely suffered and struggled through that together. Um, I'm still grateful for the experience because I learned so many important lessons out of that. So it's hard to say if I went back, would I do it differently? Would I try to slow down? It's hard to say because I obviously am very lucky to have the life I have now. But those are just things to be aware of, I think, as you start down the road. Well, and I think the point you brought up there that I really like is around the impact to your relationships too, right? You know, mm -hmm. so it's great to sacrifice time, money, but if it's at the, you know, if it's sacrificing something to, to lessen, you know, the power of a relationship. So, I mean, I know you said you probably, you may not, you're not sure if you would change anything, but I mean, you know, outsider looking in, it's probably better. I mean, you guys are still together, right? So you guys yeah. weathered, <laughs> you guys weathered the storm. So, I mean, I think yeah. that's like, where we grow the most is where we have these struggles. And I mean, you're an extremely motivated person. So you, you know, you just swung too far and you're like, right. we're crushing this. Like, let's just keep going. And you're like, okay, right. well, where's the balance? And I love that word because it's just so key because too much of anything is a good thing. Too much mm -hmm. or not enough of anything is, and I think that balance just in anything and in health, in income, in anything, right? Because if you're just doing it for just that one thing, just like chasing, you know, income in general, right? If you're just doing it for money, I feel like you're always going to kind of end up saying, you know, well, there always could be more, you know, it's not yeah. really finding what you truly want. Whereas what you want is that time and that ability to spend it how you want. Yeah. I think it's just a matter of being aware of your priorities and not letting things get in the way. And we've had so many discussions now. Our three biggest values are health, family, freedom health, family, freedom in that order. So we, we constantly are checking in with one another. How are we doing? Are we living in alignment with our values or not? Because it's so easy to get off track. So I think just kind of knowing that about yourself can help help you with the balance. Well, and the communication is key, 
right? Mm-hmm. I think that's one thing that's overlooked so many times. And we've, we've talked about it on previous episodes as well, but just the communication. I mean, right? So you, the, the fact that you guys have that openness and willingness and you guys are on the same page, maybe not in every single decision or not in every single investment, but I mean, my wife and I are the same way is, you know, we stay in our lanes, right? You know, we trust each other. Hey, that's yeah. what you're focusing on. That's what you're doing. You know, maybe if there's something that looks totally crazy, we might say something, but we kind of know, you know, where each of us is going and what each of us is doing. And it's very open and we trust each other, right? She trusts me to, you know, do certain investments and I trust her to do certain investments as well. And so I think it's just so important to find that partner and make sure that you guys are in alignment financially as well. Um, you know, and especially not even counting, you know, spending. I mean, that's another thing, obviously, that's imperative is making sure that your partner is in alignment with how you like to spend. And, and we, I've talked about this with another guest previously about making sure that you have those conversations. And it's difficult when you're not, you know, you're in the honeymoon phase and you guys are having fun together. And, but like kind of really digging in and saying, well, what is your, she calls it money culture, but you know, kind of understanding like, how do you value money? What, what is a value to you? So, I mean, it just sounds like you guys have done such a great job having those conversations and um, really, you know, integrating that into the relationship and the communication. Yes. And thank you. We definitely have made it a point to communicate about that. I remember after we got engaged, money became such an important topic. And we would just, if we were on a road trip or in the car or whatever, we had downtime, we would be like, so how are you raised? You know, what, how did your parents handle money? Um, What debts do you have? What's, you know, what's your credit score? I mean, I know these questions sound in your face, but those are the kinds of things you got to know before you marry somebody, right? You have to understand their current situation, what their money values and beliefs are, really understanding to see whether you're on the same page or not. And if you're not, how you're going to manage that together. And that's one thing that I think we did a really good job of coming into our marriage because we haven't had many horrible arguments about money. I mean, I don't think anyone could say that they've never argued about money, but we, uh, for the most part, we're on the same page. We both prefer to save rather than to spend, and we, we have similar values. So definitely important to communicate and get all of that out in the open. And, and I mean, you know, if you're marrying somebody, you should be comfortable enough asking, you know, uncomfortable questions. So I'm yes. glad you guys were able to do that. And yes. I mean, we kind of you know, I just, we, we kind of just lucked into it. You know, we didn't have like, just kind of like these real in-depth conversations, but it just so happened that we both were, you know, kind of, Hey, we're more savers. We're more playing the long game. We, you know, we don't really, you know, we're fine shopping at, you know, the, the, you know, the outlet stores or whatever like that. It doesn't need to be designer everything. And, and there's a place for that. If there was something we really wanted, we would get it, but it just, you know, certain t- things aren't of value to us. So we talked about two income streams, right? You got your real estate, you've got your book. So this course stuff, I'm super intrigued by this because also, so, so two ways I want to, I want to understand, you know, what is the course and, and what kind of people could get value from it, but then also developing a course, what's that like? And, you know, I've heard some pretty good things about being able to develop courses and the profitability of that kind of in the long run. Oh my gosh. Courses are so fun and the profit margin is huge. So like it's just so easy to do. Um, I created my course, which is called get your financial belief together <laughs> and it goes along with money, honey. It's, it's the same curriculum. It's just that there, we go a lot deeper into things. There's a lot more hands-on tools and resources and it's a focus on implementation rather than just education. Because here's the realization I had, John, and I think you touched on it earlier. We all generally know what to do, right, to better ourselves. We know to to exercise more and to eat less sugar and to spend less money and to pay off our debts, right? So the question is, well, why don't we do it? 
And it's because self having the self-discipline is so hard. That's the hardest part of human nature. So I wanted to create something where I could more directly help people with a focus on execution because knowledge is meaningless without execution. That's why I wanted to create something where I could hold people accountable, give them the structure they need to actually succeed and take action on what they're learning. So that's the whole idea behind my course. Now, the reason I love it as a passive income stream is because, so my course is $300. My books are like $15 for the paperback. If you think of how many books I have to sell to make the same amount of money as just selling one course, it, I mean, it is so skewed. It is so much easier to make meaningful money with a higher priced product. And that's what I've realized over time. What's interesting though, is I had such a conflict of interest about this because I was like, how is it okay to charge people money to help them with their money? That was my moral dilemma for so long. So finally, I just went to my platform, which by, by now I have a, a big platform. And I was like, guys, you know, here's what I'm thinking. And here's kind of my conflict with this. What do you guys think? And everyone was like, oh my gosh, please make this course. This like, yes, I would love this. This would be a huge help. So just asking them in a way, doing market research, validating my idea, that was very helpful to get me going. And what I've realized, especially now that I've run this course a few times, I looked at the stats and I had people take surveys before and after the course. I found that people have saved on on average $2,000 and $2,043 because of and during this eight-week course. So paying 300 bucks to save two grand, yes, it makes sense. That's like a 10x return almost. So I just wanted to share that because I think a lot of entrepreneurs have this struggle with how much do I charge? How much am I worth? And it really needs to be looked at in terms of the value that you're delivering and how you can quantify that. So that's that's kind of a little bit about why I created the course, how I decided to price it. What other questions you got? I love talking about this. <laughs> All right. Well, I just got to dig into one thing you said right there. And I yeah. think the accountability. And so I think one thing is also people willing to spend money. It's funny, like you go to college, most people go to college, you go to college, you spend a lot of money on that, potentially come out with debt, whatever the case is. But then after that, people aren't really investing in themselves as readily. I mean, there's, there's conferences and there's trade shows and there's certifications. But if you're not in like a specific trade, you know, like high technology or medical or something, there's not a lot of training that, that goes on, right? Kind of iteratively as time goes on. And so I think that's one thing that's helped me that was really hard for me to get my head around was hiring a coach. I'm just like, what are you mm. talking about? I'm successful. I'm motivated. At least I thought I was, you know, but just having that accountability partner there and the yes. fact that it's at such an economical price point. And I know, I know, I know you do coaching as well, but I think that's just one thing I would recommend anyone of the listeners just to think about if there's an area of your life you're looking to really exceed expectations and kind of go to a level you didn't even think you could get to, having that person hold you accountable, it's no different than like a personal trainer for exercise. And I just love the way that you spoke about it in that, you know, people struggle with that accountability and what's the return that you can get? Don't worry about the cost, right? It's the value. And I think that's the proposition that people need to think about. It's not cost, it's value. Right. Plus, plus think about if I made the course for free, would people really take it seriously? No, no one takes anything seriously that they get for free. So if if you're willing to invest in yourself and you understand the importance of that, then you will also know that committing $300, that increases your personal commitment level. That makes you more likely to succeed. You have to have skin in the game one way or another. 
Oh, that's a great point. I mean, skin in the game. I mean, obviously everything, you know, investments or just anything, right. It's going to hold you more accountable. I mean, you know, waking up at five 30 and you're like, Oh man, I don't want to go to the gym. But if they're like, Oh, well I'm going to have to pay 50 bucks. If I don't show up, then, yes. you know, <laughs> that's what <laughs> I gonna... need to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got, you know, hopefully you got the income back from the rental. So, you know, hopefully you can afford a couple of <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think I can swing it. <laughs> Um, so, so I, I want to kind of understand the construct of the course. So you talked about the profitability. So, you know, everybody out there has the ability to design a course, whatever it is, you know, if it's, you know, if it's investing, if it's real estate, if it's whatever their job is, you know, is it a sales course? Is it a mindset course? Whatever the case is. So, so what was the process in designing it? And then how much maintenance and how much babysitting do you do with it now? So here's the thing with courses. What I've learned from other people is that you want to pre-sell them. You don't want to spend 100, 200 hours creating a course because I will tell you from experience that is literally the time commitment. Again, passive income, you know, some things have a big time commitment in the beginning and then it's hands off. That's how this course was for me. So you, what I basically did is I created a landing page. I outlined what I thought the curriculum should be and I put it up on the landing page. I opened it up for an enrollment, had 50 beta members sign up at a price level of $177. So it was reduced because it was a beta sort of trial round. And I made that clear. I said, guys, this is the first time I'm doing this. I got to hear from you if it's complete crap or you know how I can improve it so I can make it the best version of the course it can be. So I was very clear about all that going into it. And I'm very glad I did it that way because the feedback I got throughout was invaluable. I ended up redoing I would say at least 50% of the course for once I decided to open up the official version of it. Um, and that was good. Now, in terms of logistics of what, what's included in the course, it's an eight-week online course. It's all pre-recorded videos of me speaking and teaching. I do some screen shares a little bit, but mostly it's videos of me. Um, it includes a free digital copy of Money Honey. It includes an entire Excel workbook that we work through the course together exclusive access to my Facebook group just for my course takers. And it includes two live group Zoom calls with me personally where people can ask me their questions. So for the price, it certainly is a lot, like it should be priced a lot higher. But I just wanted to make it reasonably affordable while still having a a higher commitment level. So that's kind of how I designed it. I've run it three times now and I'll probably run it about three times a year going forward. Now that it's all created, It's very passive. And I actually have hired a virtual assistant who, because the only things I have to do now going forward are send out the weekly emails and write the weekly posts in the Facebook group. So I have my VA do all of that now and I literally don't do anything. I mean, I do the marketing for enrollment and I literally don't do anything. So it's very passive. It's probably something that's going to be bringing in about 50 grand a year going forward. Wow. Wow. That's that's awesome. That's that's super cool. And I think that's why courses are so intriguing is because like you said, you got to front load a lot of the effort and a lot of the time. But then if you can, if you can build something that people want, um, and then, you know, just, you've mentioned this multiple times, but I just love your thought process and your strategy iterating these ideas, right? You're not just going in head first and saying, Hey, you know, this is going to work, right? You're really pitching it to your audience and, and, and getting feedback from them, but then doing something about it. And I think back just to kind of the overall listening, you know, kind of with you and your spouse and just in general or to your friend, like, I just think the openness to, to listen to other people and then make your products better because of that. And I just think that's such an important point is, you know, anybody trying to do any of this stuff, 
I've heard other people design courses both ways, right? Some just went in and designed the whole thing and they had to redo the entire, you know, the majority of it because their audience wasn't gravitating towards the type of content. So the fact that you're kind of listening and doing the beta testing, I just think that, you know, that iterative type testing model, I think is just so imperative because it's saving you time and, and you're going to end up with a better result in the long mm-hmm. run. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It certainly worked well so far. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. <laughs> All right. Well, last thing I want to touch upon before we get into the last few questions here is, is the fire movement. So I'm kind of curious. I know you have the, the, the mastermind, the woman on fire. And so I'm just kind of curious your take on fire in general. So the, I'll, I'll give you how I kind of see it and then yeah. we'll see, you know, what your thoughts are. So okay. uh, for those that don't know fire, uh, financial independence, retire early. So the way I look at it is more of how quickly can I retire on as little as possible? Mm-hmm. And so I kind of look at it in a different way. Um, and, you know, you've alluded to this before on some of your other content about abundance. I look at it more as like, hey, I don't want to work. I want, I want to be able to work where I can, when I want, and on what I want to work on. And I'm not there yet. I've got a ways to go. Um, but I think that's kind of my point is more of an abundance mindset is how can I do more to build more? And then, you know, that gives me more time freedom and do it more efficiently. Kind of like you're iterating on your ideas. Um, so I'm just curious because like I know a lot of people are really big on the fire and you know Personally, I don't want to be living in a trailer, you know on some big acreage of land in in Wyoming You know saying hey, I don't have a job or I don't need income or I've, I've got enough to live off of but to me That's just not the lifestyle I want so I'm just I'm just curious because I always like different people's different perspectives on on fire I agree with you 100% I I love fire, but I take issue with a small part of it. And I, it's the part that most people in the fire movement achieve fire or are working towards fire by making a ton of income and doing the extreme frugality thing. So they save a ton of money quickly. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that. There is nothing wrong with that. The reason I take issue with it is because not everyone is privileged enough to make the level of income required to be frugal enough to save a massive amount of money, right? Somebody who's making 150 grand, single, no kids, yeah, they could probably achieve fire that way. They could save 80% of their income, live super frugally, and retire. But take a couple who's, who's making 50 grand combined and has kids, that's not realistic for them. And so that's why I, I struggle with it, is because this is not realistic or attainable for everybody. It's attainable for a small segment of the population. So that's why I love passive income, because you can achieve fire through passive income. And I don't think it's talked about a lot. But in my opinion and in my experience, it's a whole heck of a lot easier to create five, six, eight thousand $8,000 a month in passive income than it is to save $500,000 or a million dollars by age 35 so you can retire. I mean, I don't know many multimillionaires. So trying to think about doing that at a young age and then retiring to me sounds overwhelming and daunting. Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I like this passive income thing because it's it's attainable for anybody, no matter your age or your income, you can create passive income. That's why I wanted to find out because I, 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 of course, I was going to be intrigued by your perspective, but I love your response. And and also, I think there's a lot more security in cash. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of cash flow versus cash, right? They're like, cash is king. And, you know, it sounds like you're in the same vein. I think cash flow is king, right? I mm-hmm. mean, it's, Ooh, I like that. <laughs> you know, when you've got, yeah, when you've got that big nut, you know, 500 grand, million dollars, whatever, we'll say you break your leg or whatever, you know, I mean, something happens, you need a new car or the insurance for some issue that happens doesn't pay out. Now that lump sum is gone, right? Now 
it's minimized. And so I think that's why the cash flow, in my opinion, is is the most important and the diversified income is because that really is protection against the unknown. Yeah, it can go up and down and ebb and flow, but if you have, you know, different streams coming in from different areas, then you know ultimately you're gonna be a little bit more buoyant than, you know, somebody that, like you said, that single point failure. Yeah, and and going back to your initial point too, I agree with what you said that if you just focus on cutting costs and extreme frugality, you're get, you're having to give up your quality of life to do that. Okay, that's that's an enormous sacrifice. But if on the other side of things, you focus on how to increase your income and create additional income streams, you don't have to give up your quality of life in order to retire. And like you, I was like, I don't want to retire and then feel like I have to watch every penny and not be able to travel. I want to retire knowing I'm making a ton of money and I can do anything I want without thinking twice about it. And the other thing is, you know, you can help people too, right? I think that's one thing you didn't touch upon as much as, I mean, how many people are being helped by your books, by your course? And I think that's the other thing is that it's hard to help somebody if you just have this lump sum of money and you're just living entirely frugal, right? Mm -hmm. You know, whereas you've got income coming in. And that's one thing that's important to me moving forward just in general and and to teach my kids is, you know, let's, let's bring up others as well, right? It's not just about us living comfortably. Uh, Somebody had posted the other day about like, is, is the fire movement selfish? And, uh, you know, we're just kind of like, well, you know, to each their own, to me, you know, it's not that intriguing, uh, you know, kind of at least the, the rough definition of, of what kind of I think is fire. But, uh, but no, I love, I love that perspective. So, all right, well, we're going to wrap up with the contrarian three pack here. So I'm definitely curious about some of the answers to this. So um, I know you've been kind of across the board with investments, but what would you say is the most contrarian investment that you've made? I would say this is contrarian for me because of the way I view things. The most contrarian investment is the investment I made into finally joining a mastermind. Because we talked about this earlier, I wasn't doing a good job of investing in myself to learn, to grow, you know, whether it was a mentor or a coach or a group. I was always like, well, I'm doing fine on my own. I'm obviously making good money. My books are selling on my own. But then I did realize I don't know how to get to the next level. I don't have anyone around me that's five, 10 steps ahead of me and where I want to be that I can learn from. So I realized the importance of finally making big investment, which scared me to death at the time. But I was like, yeah, I need to have people that I can go to anytime I need help. I need an expert who can tell me how to strategize and continue to scale my business because I have no idea what I'm doing. So that for me is the most contrarian investment and it's worked out very well. (laughs) Yeah, that's one that I haven't bitten the bullet on yet. Obviously, I've been very intrigued and, you know, kind of had a couple bites at the apple, but I have not done that yet. So I I love that. That's a great point, you know, because I think those are those are ones that are tough. But, you know, kind of back to our point earlier about the coaching and the course and the value. If you can scale your business and either automate it so you're working in it less, having a lot more time or making it a lot more profitable, you know, that that investment that you made brand as it was, you know, is going to come back tenfold. So, um, yeah. And that's the thing is that I couldn't measure it. So I was like, Oh, I'm like, what's the ROI? What's the cost benefit? I'm trying to do this financial analysis on it. And I'm realizing I'm going to just have to trust in this a little bit and see where it gets me. But that's also why it was so contrarian because I'm just a mathematical analytical person. And I was like, what? I mean, how do I measure this? But it's, it's worked out well. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're super glad to hear that. And obviously, yeah. you know, excited to see where, uh, where it takes you as well. So um, I think I know the answer to this one, but what's your favorite thing to do with uh, family outside of your passive income streams? Hiking. Is that what you were going to (laughs) say? Definitely something outdoors for sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm a little bit obsessed. I mean, really part of the reason we moved to Colorado is so we could be closer to the mountains and hike more. It's, It's so meditative for me. I love it. 
What's a, is there a, is there a favorite hike or at least a f- favorite mountain range or area that you guys go to pretty often? Ever since we moved here and we were, we're like, oh yeah, this has to be on my top five favorites. But we say that almost every weekend now because they're all so amazing. I will say though, we went to Rocky Mountain National Park a month ago. It was actually our second time going, but man, did I fall in love with that place all over again. There is nothing like it. It's just so beautiful. So that's the thing about, so I'm from the West Coast, so I'm from Southern Arizona. And that was the one thing growing up, we were always surrounded by mountain ranges. And now yeah. in North Carolina, it's just tree line everywhere, right? So you just look <laughs> and there's trees. And so that's the one thing I miss is I just, you know, even just flying over and stuff, I just feel like it's so beautiful, the mountain ranges mm-hmm. and just kind of being surrounded. And I don't know, there's just like a comfort almost, you know, kind of being yes. surrounded by this large mountain range. It is. It's, it's like it. grounding or something. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah. Something bigger than yourself. Uh, so uh, and then lastly, what offers you the most fulfillment? I mean, passive income is great, but obviously there's got to be a higher purpose. I think in terms of just personal activities, traveling, I'm so fulfilled by traveling, seeing new places. Um, I love to read. I've always been an avid reader. And then in terms of the business stuff, just what fulfills me is creating content in a way where I know I'm genuinely helping people and I'm doing it for the right reasons. Because for me, it doesn't have to be motivated by money anymore. It's me being motivated by how can I do the right thing and create the right content that will really make an impact in people's lives. And that's what I think is the most, is the best part of my business. Well, you know, keep sharing those nuggets when you get them because obviously, you know, you're doing a great job with it. So, well, this has been an outstanding conversation. I just, I love the energy that you brought. And I mean, I just, I'm really excited for the listeners to, to, to have a listen to this. So last off, what's the best way for everybody to get in touch with you to either pick up the book, uh, check out the course, or, you know, just reach out directly? Well, thank you. Both of my books, Money, Honey, and Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement, are available on Amazon in ebook, paperback, and audiobook. And you can find me on Instagram at Money, Honey, Rachel. Um, and lastly, John, what I'd love to do for your listeners is if anyone wants to download my Passive Income Starter Kit, I will give that for free. And you can download that at moneyhoneyrachel.com slash bonus. Awesome. Well, everybody check that out. We'll we'll throw some of that stuff in the show notes as well. So anybody that needs it, but man, Rachel, this has been amazing. Thank you so much. Looking forward to where you go and uh, you know, how many passive income streams you have in uh, in a few years from now. Thanks so much, John, for having me. All right. Until next time, live fulfilled. Thank you for listening to Contrarian Cashflow. I would greatly appreciate it if you left an honest review, hit subscribe so you never miss an episode, and share with someone you feel would find value. Until next time, think different, earn different, live fulfilled.